Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we bring experts in the respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to find out how to leverage the power of voice to build your brand and your business, and we'll do that with David Wolf, who has spent years serving as a music composer and producer of audio content for radio, TV, film, podcasts, audiobooks, and other kinds of multimedia. His previous company, Crywolf Productions, Inc., and its recording studios provided music, sound design, and production services for advertising. Also, studios such as Amblin, Discovery, Discovery Channel, NBC, Universal, and Disney, as well as well-known brands such as Southeast, uh, Southwest Airlines, Miller Brewing Company, Embassy Suites, Procter & Gamble, Texas Instruments, the list goes on and on. For additional client lists, you should just take a look at Odd Vita Studios to supply, apply his experience in talents, skills, and expertise and his creative team to help companies, publishers, entrepreneurs, listeners to my podcast, other influencers and thought leaders, and help them grow their brands, their businesses, using podcasts and audiobooks. David, it's fantastic to have you here, sir. Thank you, to have, thank you for having me, Bill. Good morning, and hello to your audience. Thank you so much. So hearing all those brands that you help, I know, but they don't know who else you serve. So give us a whole picture of who you and your company deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So just to take you back a bit. So I was in a business really comes from the music background that I have born and raised in Chicago and then became a player and then a composer for film, television and radio. So that that business you described, Crywolf Productions, was very much centered around me producing a piece of music for a client, typically an advertising agency, a production company, and so forth. So children's programming, I was involved with that for many years as well. So that business model, the studios and my talents associated with it was serving advertising agencies. Flash forward to today, the evolution of me and this new business called Audavita Studios. What we focus on is helping people connect their voices to the world. So the, the, the people, it's a wide range of folks that we're serving, but I could probably sum it up by saying these are thought leaders, companies, um, uh, experts, consultants, authors, speakers, people that want to get their voice out to the world, typically for a content marketing function. You know, in other words, companies or individuals hire us to help them produce a piece of content to get their voice out into the world their voice out into the world in order to build their brand. So that's the essence of the mechanism. So, and that's the avatar is fairly broad. On the, we have two legs to our business, if you like. We're involved with audiobook production and distribution, which in, in which case we're serving publishers and authors individually, author services providers. These are the folks that do ghostwriting and editing for authors. And uh, we serve their clients and help them create an audiobook version of their already or soon to be published manuscript. So that's that model. It's kind of a project oriented, once and done endeavor. With the publishers, it can be a stream of, 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 of clients that are coming at us because they have multiple authors that they're serving that are coming out of the journey, having written a book, and now they need a, an audiobook produced and distributed. So that's the audiobook side of Audavita. 
The, the podcast side of our company, we have about 35 shows in production right now on a network ranging. And again, the genres are very broad, but I'll just you know throw a few out so you get a sense of it. We're in financial services. Our clients are in financial services, real estate, cloud computing, mental health. We have a nonprofit in macular degeneration. So it's very, very broad. Leadership is huge. Consultants. And we're really helping them get their voice out into the world with a podcast that we help, we co-create with them and then launch. And typically they're, you know, producing weekly. So I think your question was about the, who are we serving? So that gives you, I think, I hope I, hope I answer that well. It, it gives you some sense of, of the spectrum of who we're serving with content production and distribution. So long as we're talking about who you serve, I know that you've got talent that work directly for you and indirectly. So why don't you yes. tell a bit about the other part of you, your, if you will, your your universe of people that you're serving. Absolutely. I, I love the question because, you know, as I sort of telegraphed, my previous business, Crywolf Productions, it was originally called Crywolf Music. It was about me producing a piece of content in the form of notes going through time and space. You know, this is music for a commercial purpose. Today, it's all about the team. My primary role in my business now is to, to run the money and talk to people about what we do. And I rave constantly about the wonderful team that I've got. So uh, it's interesting, this question, because originally when I, I started where I was producing everything myself, and it was a classic entrepreneurial story where I started to add people slowly. And I was very lucky and it was fortuitously the right people showed up at the right time in the right roles. We all have a shared value system in our culture, but we are temperamentally quite different from each other, which is perfect in terms of the setup for a group think. We call ourselves the Fab Five. So we have Mark, who runs the audiobook side. We have Erica, who's the COO. Probably should have started with her. Erica, COO, JCMO, and also oversees some of our video production. So he's got a tandem role there. Sean Hattinger runs all the podcast production, whether it's video or audio. And then I mentioned Mark, who runs all the, the audiobook side. We also So that's our inner on-salary group. And we meet every week, and we have a very trusting and loving kind of collaborative culture. Beyond that, we have probably two dozen freelance editors, producers, people that service on the sales side that are 1099, if you will, in terms of the nature of the relationship. There's some expandability there. You know, it's interesting when I first started the, the business, Bill, I, my fantasy was I started to say this and I sort of interrupted myself. When I was doing it alone and started editing people, I thought, well, I'll just have a bunch of 1099 people and that way I can always expand and contract. But what I learned is as I was building a, a durable business, that needed retention and needed people that were solidly on my team. I found that the freelance model for the core of us, the five of us, wasn't really the way to structure it, at least in our case. So the outer concentric circles, and we do have people that are nearly full-time that are 1099 people, but they are expandable and contractible. And then there's concentric circles of, you know, if we get particularly overloaded with capacity need, we'll go out a little bit further. And then there's a talent pool for the audiobook side. When we do fiction work on the audiobooks, we have a casting team, Matt and Bo, they're in New York and Boston, and they're also actors and they help our authors find the perfect voice for their project. So that's... Um, uh, a part of our team that's very important. And then we have a young lady in uh, Brooklyn who uh, works with us to write the intros and the outros and help format the shows when we first onboard a new podcaster. So, you know, there's different flavors. We have another woman on our team, Hillary, who does some amount of business development for what I'll call sort of larger enterprise types of clients. 
sometimes celebrities. And so she works. So those are a little bit more flexible model in terms of structure and human, sort of the human resource side of what we do. Okay, that's beautiful. I like that very much. So give us an idea. I think maybe you'll have to do this maybe twice. If the problem that your typical client avatar has, what is that problem? Right. And you're right about twice because although there is some overlap, so it's interesting the word problem or pain point has always sort of troubled me conceptually because no one needs an audiobook and no one needs a podcast in order to survive. It's not like we're, you know, we're, we're not making a food that people need or something like that. So when you when I think about the the pain or the problem we're solving, it's an interesting question, but I'll do the best I can here. For the author right now, um that wants to participate in a very explosive audio market because of the consumer behavioral shift to listening from reading for better and worse, they need a solution in many cases. And the problem we solve for them is stripping away the, how do you do it? The technology, how do I upload it and get it to match my Amazon page? There are very strict technology requirements that the audiobook distribution ecosystem requires of us. This is a geeky audio mm -hmm. stuff that we have to know. And you really need to be an audio engineer or have a background in audio engineering in order to be able to produce an audio book. It's not something you can, you know, record on your iPhone and hope, you know, submit it and hope they take it. It really, there's a lot of rules and regulations. So we have mastered that. We do about 200 books a year in audio. And so we strip away all that concern for the author so that they can be confident that whether it's a nonfiction or a fiction work, it's going to be produced quality-wise. Quality it's going to be at the highest level it can be. And, and that they're not going to have to worry about blind spots that they didn't understand so that it gets rejected when they submit it, let's say, to Audible. So, so that's a problem we're solving for them. Now, I want to mention we have two different ways we do audiobooks. This is just okay. part and parcel to our process. For the nonfiction author, in many cases, and this speaks back to the title of this podcast, we suggest that the author read, this is a business book, a memoir, perhaps an emotional charge story that they're telling from their life, their own life journey, that they be the conveyor, they be the narrator of the book. So what we have is a remote studio environment that we deploy. The, the author schedules fluidly and follows a link. We set them up with the microphone they need, and we provide a producer there in studio, virtual studio with video with them to produce the book. So it's as if they're in a recording studio, but it's out of their, their the comfort of their home or home office. So that's one of our solutions. And, and that solves a problem for the author that wants to read their own audiobook because now they don't have to travel anywhere. They don't have to pay by the hour. We price everything by the word. So it's a fixed price model and it's all inclusive. It's recording, editing, mastering, you know, to those specs I talked about earlier. We modify the cover, which needs to be a square for audio. And then we help them upload it to Amazon, Audible, iTunes, and wherever. There are about 50 other places we can put them. So it includes the entire experience. And, and then on the, on the fiction side, these are novels and so, and so forth require actors to perform them one or two, and sometimes more actors, but typically it's a single actor. We cast the voice. We do a deep dive with the, with the author to make sure we understand the characters, the glossary, pronunciation, dialect, whatever it is we need to know. We go out to market. We have an ecosystem of talent that we use actors, some celebrities as well. And, and we audition, we bring back auditions and we work with the author to find the voice. It's the author's voice through an actor in that instance. So here you've got to leverage the power of your voice for the nonfiction author who records and reads it himself, he's the recognizable connectivity to market with their own voice. 
leveraging it or the voice of the author through an actor that's well-equipped to handle the dialogue and the uh, dramatic elements of their story. So probably a long answer more than you'd bar bargain for, but I just wanted to give you a sense of it. So the pain points on the audiobook side are as such. The podcast side, I'll try to be brief. These are, you know, podcasting in a very real way for most of our clients is an extension of their marketing system. So they may be blogging, they may be doing posts on LinkedIn, they may be doing newsletters, but their voice in the world is a very, very powerful tool. And for a podcast series, and you know this from doing so many episodes yourself, you're at the center of a conversation, you're attracting new clients, and it's a powerful solution if you're willing to make the investment time, energy, and money-wise to get it done. So for the real estate entrepreneur that we serve in Philadelphia, she does a podcast, she kicks it out like a machine every week, and she's inviting peers and clients and people that she wants to engage with. Sometimes it's a new, someone new that she wants to do business with. So an engagement happens there during the podcast, and now they become a client from podcast guest to client. So there's an interesting mechanism, and I know you know this well from your experience, so do I. Podcasters will ask us, how do I build my audience? I have to build my audience right away. Not exactly. It starts with the audience of one. Invite that one person that you like to do business with on, because you know, if you call them and ask them to be on your show, it's a lot more compelling than, hey, can we have a conversation about how I can help you in your business? So it becomes a, effectively a, a prompting tool and a very powerful one because something magical happens when you're recording and having a conversation and you're sharing that experience. And then it goes out to the world on you know Spotify and Stitcher and iHeart and Apple. You know, it, it's a shared experience that creates a bond there in the moment. So the problem that we solve for a someone who wants to get their voice out into the world is we contextualize it into a podcast that's deliverable every week, distributed widely. And, you know, there are thousands and thousands, if not millions of podcasts now. So, so we're, we're a company that um, uh, approaches this very white glove and boutique. -y. We're not a commodity solution. That's a part of the answer to your question, Bill. We're best suited for the client or the, uh, the budding podcaster that just doesn't want to get involved with technology. They just want to know they've got a solid team that's going to care. So I'll stop Beautiful. there. I like yeah. that very much. So now, though, what I want you to tell our listeners mm -hmm. is how you differ from your competition in why in the world they should find you versus going randomly on Google and saying podcast producers. So tell us how. Yeah, you yeah. Yeah. Again, it's a, bit, a little bit twofold, but probably the same because what we've discovered with our culture and our DNA and the way we approach our clients is we deliver as much as we deliver the podcast or the audiobook, we deliver experience for them, a very satisfying experience because we care, we're engaged, we're there for them. Uh, it's very white, white glove approach to what could be arguably a soon to be more and more commoditized kind of space. So in a world where there are do-it-yourself solutions, click and buy, gold, silver, bronze package, that's not us. We have a series of meetings with our new podcaster. We talk about the series. We co-develop it with them. We create the intros, the outros, the call to action. We contextualize the podcast into their overarching marketing strategy and business strategy in a way that they probably couldn't do it without a team. So it's it's a very caring, white glove, boutique, can almost consultative approach to production. It's not just producing the audio. And I'd say the same thing on the audiobook side. I had a call yesterday with a woman who said, you know, this is the experience I'm looking for to produce my audiobook. We're going to, this is a casting project. She's not going to read it herself because it's fiction. 
And she said, this is the, she used the word experience. I love it. The, the, this is the experience I'm seeking because I've talked to a bunch of companies that produce audiobooks, but it just didn't work. I just didn't feel like they got me. I didn't feel like they cared as much as you do. And, uh, you know, I see, I think so. I, I, I'll say this with in the most self-effacing way I can, because my team says it about me. There's something about me when I first meet with someone and, and it's not about me. The business is not about me. It's really about them and my team, but but there is a way of hearing and listening and deeply considering the options for a client that somehow I'm able to evoke a lot of trust right away. When I have conversations and consequently, I'm a pretty effective sales guy, but I don't think of myself that way at all. The challenge for our business now, and I know we'll talk about some of this later, is, is how do I scale without me being having to touch every new inbound client that comes in the door as we continue to grow. So that's one of the challenges I face now as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure much of your audience does. You know, you get to sort of this million dollar level or so, and then how do you break through to, okay, I need more salespeople. How do I scale that? So anyway, it's a bit of a side. Well, that's bar, beautiful because you just did my transition for me. <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's uh, on my mind uh, right now because we're so at that Our, listener, our yeah. listeners know that on, on, on this show, we, we spend the first half roughly talking about my my guests, business clients, and their, their, own, right. their staff, and so forth and so on. But then we get to now, and that is, what in the world got into you to, to get your business started? So what we'd like to hear is, in any format you like, really, is walk us yeah. through some of the milestones, you know, you know, when it started, who your first hire was, you already yeah. touched on yeah. You run your business with your weekly meetings and so forth. Yeah, and yeah. Through sort of the timeline, David, and tell us how you built your business today. All right. So I'm going to begin with the collapse of my prior business and then a fouled collapse because it informed what I was going to do next. And this may be useful or, or not for some of your listeners. We'll, we'll, let them, we'll let them be the judge. But I spent a lot of years as a music producer. And when I turned 40, I just had enough with creative on demand. I needed to do something else. So the phone rings and my brother, it turns out, has an opportunity with a cousin of ours who had a food production business. You heard me right. Had nothing to do with music, production, studios. It was just completely different. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. Edible widgets. Sounds great. So uh, I moved my my family from Dallas to Albuquerque and we, we endeavored to buy the assets out of bankruptcy of this regional bagel bakery eventually we did artisans breads too. And I learned a whole new business. He was, my brother's a bakery guy. So he knew that part. And I took whatever I could native skills, what I had learned from marketing, the music business, applied it to this new bakery. And we quickly grew it up to about a million and a half, still a small business, but you know, we had wholesale delivery. We had all the stuff going on. So I ran that as a CEO, 30 employees for about eight or nine years. And then I sold it to my brothers and he took it over. So uh, I wasn't built to be in the bakery business, but what that experience gave me was a foundation to be in business at all from a standpoint of being a CEO and began to the training of transitioning from reading music scores to reading P&Ls and balance sheets, talking to banks, understanding the ecosystem of what it takes to run a business with 30 employees, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and let's not forget the family business dimension of this, which, sure. you know, right. for better and worse, right? It's not easy. So after I left that, I started returning back to my roots. And this is the genesis of Audavita Studios. I was doing, I found myself, I launched a podcast called Small Biz America. And I produced probably about 250 episodes talking to entrepreneurs, not too different than what we're doing here, but it was authors. It was much broader. I didn't have a business model. I had no idea why I was doing it at the time, but I was doing it. And gradually 
I realized that I could produce and record other people's podcasts. So I started to attract that business. And then simultaneously, I understood that it, because I, I was well-rooted and experienced in audio production, I could begin to talk to authors and publishers and perhaps start to build a business around what I know how to do tactically. But the transition started about four years ago when I started to get too much business. So my first hire was my, who is now my COO and owns a small part of the business as well. And she came in uh, originally as my VA and then said to me, she knocked on my door one day and said, I really like what you're doing. I like working with you. I like the business. I want to be a part of this full time. So she came in and we sealed that deal. And from there, it was a succession of, of other uh, very specific types of talent. The next guy that came in was a young, I call him a young comp composer like me, producer, also local. We're all in Albuquerque, the, the leadership team. And and uh, I met Sean through a, a a colleague of mine, and I recognized that I needed help with the editing and recording of these audiobook. Uh, sorry, the the podcast. This was podcast specific. So right. Sean started to pick up freelance work from me, and then he became an employee over time. There was just enough work, and suddenly, you know, here he was full-time with me. And Mark Shipman, as well, was the only guy I know on the planet that was an audio professional and also had experience running a bagel business. So right there, he had sealed the deal. I'm kidding, of course. But he had the right temperament for me. And we met one day and I explained what I needed. I was no longer in a position where I could do as much as too much workload. I'm going to have more and more of this. I see it coming. And he was perfect for the job. He's a guy that spent a lot of years executive coaching. So he understood when you produce, when you have an author reading their own audiobook, there's a delicate balance. They're both the, the client and the talent. So this is a very interesting and delicate operation when you work with an author, and it takes a certain kind of emotional IQ to be able to pull that off. So now he runs that whole side of the business. So this was the evolution of bringing people in. Finally, uh, there's a guy named Jay, who I've known for 20 years because he worked alongside my wife in a nonprofit that she still works in as the marketing director there. Very skilled in a lot of things. And I brought him in. He's, his title is CMO, and he's helped build our website and he helped create a lot of the, sort of the, the front-facing foundation for the brand, you know, logo development, all of those sorts of things. He works with me on strategy and how we market and how we get our voice out. But he's also a very skilled video producer. So, so he when we're now that the, the podcast business is evolving into much more video content, it's been very useful to have him there. I and mean, more and more, he's taking over production. So I don't know if I got too deep in the weeds with each of these folks, but they, uh, but they each have a, a very decided department. We've got audiobooks, we've got podcasts, we've got operations, and then we've got, what did I miss? Podcasting production, the ongoing production of podcasts on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. So that's what we've got. And as I mentioned earlier, these are, you know, for all intents and purposes, salary, part of our fixed-based infrastructure, and everyone else outside of that is 1099. And it's working well. It's working well. I think, as I mentioned, my chief challenge now is how to scale the sales part in a way that that, that still expresses the brand to someone new to us with integrity. Well, it's, it's really interesting to my mind listening to a professional like you, because my very next question was, is what's holding you back right now? And so it's a how to scale. So give us some, give, give our listeners some more insight into exactly how you, what I'd like to have you talk about is how do you, how did you know that was your barrier? You know, how did it show up? How did it manifest? And what are you doing now to solve that issue? And how do you see the future maybe five years down the road? I love it. So 
I would say that it might be very well may be a self-imposed barrier because arguably we could sit at the current size we are now and continue to do everything as we're doing it. And it would be a perfectly viable business and durable. It could last forever. There wouldn't be a lot of risk in the model other than risk, external risk, things like AI, audiobooks, or other phenomenons that, that could happen through an Amazon or, or even on the podcast side, a disruption there somehow that we can't anticipate. But internally, we could run and continue to run like we are doing our boutique thing. And so I think for a lot of it for me, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs experience this is the, the, the tug of war between it's perfectly fine, leave well enough alone, and to push, push, let's take on a little more risk. Let's grow. I'd like to this to what is a, a million dollar business to be a three million dollar business in five years, whatever the math is for you. And so we've looked at this different ways with our core team and said, well, do, what do we want to do? Do we want to double the business in five years? Is that how we want to think about this? And we ultimately decided that that's probably not the way we want to think about it. We don't want it to be quantitatively, solely a quantitative issue. But having said all of that, just because of how I'm wired, and I think it's because I'm fundamentally a creative person. With that, the territory comes with you want to push and try new things. And my my team has said, look, you don't want to lose that. So what I say is this, this balance between take a measured and controlled amount of risk, um, financially, energetically, however, market-wise, and balancing that with the core business that's operating very nice, and you don't want to mess with that thing, kind of a thing. So- so it's self-imposed. We don't have to grow and we don't have to scale, but I would like to. I'd like to, to know also, and this is important for a guy that, you know, I'm 63 years old as we speak today. I would like to position the company so that it is not solely dependent on me having conversations with people to bring new business in. And that's not easily done as I'm sure many of your listeners would share. So that's the, the big dilemma and sort of the framework around this. So I think that it's a question I'm going to continue to ask uh, but I think it starts with sales because the other piece of this is capacity and capacity we have. We've got our management team in place. They can We can hire and bring in younger talent or new talent to help augment what they already do and control in their departments, audiobooks, podcasts, video, if you want to talk about video, new show development, uh, which is not a part of the business I've talked about much. But anyway, I hope I've this is helpful. It is very much so helpful. And I, I, I like the way you positioned this self-imposed limitation. That's absolutely very true. You know, a lot of people don't realize how few businesses ever really scale. In, in fact, 85% of small businesses have no employees at all. They're solopreneurs. A lot of people don't know it's that giant of a number, but it is. And so it isn't very many that actually, one, decide to scale, and then two, can actually pull it off. Right. So, David, look, you've got a lot of different kinds of folks listening to us right now. So tell our listeners, uh, one, how they can contact you and your company. And two, if you've got some special incentive cooked up in your brain. That oh, might- yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. So you can reach a couple of different ways you can reach me, certainly on LinkedIn, where I think it's Audavita. If you search Audavita Studios, you'll find me. You can send me an email at D-W-O-L-F. So it's my first initial last name, dwolf at audavita.com. I'm happy to have a conversation about a project, about what you're thinking. I'm very low key about these things and an intro call. So there's no agenda. If we can help you, we, we'd love to. And it's if it's a good fit for you. So send me an email. So, and uh, please spell... 
your company. A lot of our people. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Pull that off. Okay. So the way, easy way is it's like the car Audi Vita is in life. So A U D I V I T A Audi Vita dot com. Thanks for mentioning that, Bill. Because yeah, you say the word and how yeah, people may not know how to spell it. So I appreciate that. We will offer a ten percent reduction in our fees if you mention Bill's podcast and you heard it here. So be sure to do that. If it's something, if you're actually interested in working with us, there'll be some economic benefit to that. But most of all, we'd, we'd love to talk to you about a vision you have for a podcast series uh, for your business, or if you're an author or a publisher and, and are interested in participating in the audio side of the market, you really, it's an opportunity to unlock a lot of people that don't feel they have the time to sit and read, but they'd rather listen. So. Right. And listening about this audio books and this, the, the point you made about artificial intelligence and so forth. Both you and I are old enough to remember listening to radio shows, which were much more fan, much more stimulating to imagination than right. video shows, TV and all that stuff. And yeah. I, and I have heard audio book readers who've been, have come close to pulling that sort of drama off. You don't get it if you're reading alone. So I like that business model of yours. I think it's beautiful. I like the fact that you also mentioned that it's both fiction and nonfiction. That's a very good point. I can see, for example, even I've got many of my clients, David, that have written books about their business, you know, for, you know, their, their multi-generational family businesses. Oh, so, yes. You know, those are, though, that's an interesting market there. One of my clients out in Washington state, in fact, his entire business is building those, I guess you'd call them internal, generally internal consumption kinds of books. Yes. So, yes. So I, C I, I, CEOs I, that have a legacy story. In fact, I, I we, we, we've done a few of those and they're really very satisfying as an experience for the author, CEO, and, yeah. and, and it leaves a legacy for them and their family and the business. Yeah, I love that model. So I've asked you a few questions, but probably there's at least one that I didn't ask that I should have. Uh -oh. uh, so the so the so my final question is: Is there a question I should have asked? And if there is, give us the question and the answer. And I'm looking for something that will provide great value to our audience. I should have been better prepared for this. Let me think a moment. Oh. What, okay, here's a question that you could, there's just several you could probably ask me, but but here's one that you didn't ask in specific terms, although I may have telegraphed the answer, is it what is it about my team that makes it work so well? What is it about that? And I telegraphed a bit of this. We have shared values in our business, but we're temperamentally different. So what I mean by that is if I, you know, I'm a creative guy, I have new ideas, I'm, I get excited about things, I take something to one of my team members or all of them, and they're each going to have another window, another lens to look through the, the idea or the question that I am posing. That is so important in a business when you're running it with a team. And this is something that I guess I had to learn over time because, again, my, the first part of my career was a solo gig. I was writing and producing music, and you know, there was some socialization when we would produce in the studio, and it's more collaborative there. But for the most part, it was it was me doing it and controlling so much of it. But here, I've had to 
recondition myself to be much more Socratic and collaborative in how I manage. And I'm constant, this is constantly improving story, how I do this. And I, I encourage my, my, my friends now and my family, the family I call the Fab Four, to, to call me out if I've got a blind spot or if I'm not seeing, because I know they've got the best interests of Autovita and me in mind when they do so. Yeah, I love that. And thanks for taking the time to think through a, a quality question like that. I love the answer and the way you you your company for scaling. And I'll get to that as I my closing comments in a second. David Wolf, thanks for sharing your beautiful time and wisdom with us today. It's much appreciated. I'm very grateful, sir. So am I, Bill. Thanks so much for having me. It's always fun to revisit all these things that are rolling around in, in my experience in my head. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. Thank you. Beautiful. Everybody, now in closing, let's focus on the single fact, and that is this. Our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having a fantastic long-term vision, connecting that with a singular strategy for growth. Number two, using a high functioning management system to execute that strategy. And number three, leveraging a high performance team through a culture of accountability. Now you'll get the keys to those three concepts. Just go to getbillsgift.com and get your hands on the keys to that philosophy. Thanks for listening, David. Thanks again for sharing your time with us.